Hello, everyone, and welcome to 50 Now What? I'm your host, Alicia Sutton. What happens when two empty nesters decide to trek 1,400 miles on Europe's GR5? I spoke with Kathy Elkine, author of the new book, To Walk It Is To See It, to find out. We discussed the profound insights and epiphanies she had while walking 1,400 miles with her husband, Jim, through Europe, as well as the power of synchronicity and how mindfulness, self-compassion, and contentment were among the items she packed for this journey. This was a wonderfully inspiring and spirited conversation that has me seriously thinking about taking a gap year for adventure myself. It's never too late to have the adventure of a lifetime. Let's jump into it. Kathy, I'm glad to see you again. I've been looking forward to really talking to you, getting this all down. And well, we'll just go ahead and start, Kathy. Your book, To Walk It Is To See It, has become my summer favorite. So thank you. (laughs) And before we get in, there's so much we can talk about in the book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you first and let us know how are you doing and how's life been? Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Let's see, right now I'm 63 years old, so I'm getting on, But um, and I've been very privileged to have a wonderful life. And back in 2018, my husband and I went for a long walk, and then I came home and wrote a book about it, a memoir, first time, and that was a totally different adventure of writing and then an adventure of publishing, and I'm all about being excited for the last third of my life. <laughs> Love that. Love that. And your book goes into some, you have a lot of very profound epiphanies and deeply profound insights that come to you during this journey. And you very humbly say it as a walk. It's like 1,400 miles, 2,300 kilometers is more than just a little walk. (laughs) And But before we get into some of these other very profound insights that you have, I think for my listeners especially, we talk a little bit about some of the preparation that goes into taking a journey like this. It's not, you didn't just do it on a whim. You clearly prepared for it. And it bears noting that you and your husband, Jim, have very physically active lifestyles anyway. You hike, you ski, you do it all. And, you know, Jim's lovingly known as the ski maniac in your family. We say that with love. But how do you prepare for this? There's physical things that you do to prepare and also resources. Let us know, how do you do that? What is the GR5? Why don't we start there? <laughs> okay. The GR5, the French name is the Grand Randonnée Sank. I think I said that's correctly. So in Europe, there are many more walking trails all through Europe, and a lot of them are called Grand Randonnées, which means grand trip or grand walk. And as you said, Jim, my husband and I are very outdoorsy people. He is a little bit more hardcore than I am. He can go further and he can bike faster and all that kind of stuff. So we were looking for an adventure that we could both be happy doing. And we had just moved from Massachusetts up to Vermont. And so we thought it was the perfect time to do and take, you know, an adult gap year. It wasn't a whole year, but just to pause in life. And we asked many, many people, you know, what's a great adventure? And we heard a Frenchman that we had just happened to run into. I'm big into synchronicity. He told us that I'm walking the GR5. And so, and he was actually talking about walking the GR5 where it starts in Lake Geneva and cuts across the Alps for five to six weeks. And that's called also called the Grand Traverse. And that's the part he had done. But when I went to Google it, I found out it actually starts in 
the Netherlands and Hook Van Holland, and it goes the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, and then the whole length of France. So it is a very long trip. And as you were saying, we had done 10-day backpacks trips, but we had never done an adventure like this. <laughs> and we, we really weren't sure what we were getting ourselves into. But back to one of the questions I think you talked about, ask, we're asking, how did we get in shape for this? Again, we were in pretty good shape, but I did start walking four and up to five hour walks here in Vermont on dirt roads to get in shape. And Jim skied a lot. And there's something called skinning and skiing where you climb up the mountain yourself instead of taking the lift and ski down. And so that's how he got in shape. So we did get in shape. And then getting and we read lots of books and blogs to learn more about it since I had never heard of it before and planned it all out. It was about three months of planning, I would say. Okay. that And that's just on the practical side. I mean, you guys did your research and of course you reached to the French embassy, which <laughs> in some of your descriptions may or may not have been worth it, but I guess in the end you'd do that anyway. And you guys reached out and that's part of that. So you didn't just step out one day and say, hey, I think we're going to go and walk this. So for my listeners and the audience, <laughs> when you read it, you'll want to do it, but you'll also have to take on the practical preparation that it requires. And a lot of the things that resonated with me and I think will resonate with my listeners is a lot of the things that came along in terms of your insight and all the things that happened along this journey. And one of the things that I loved is how you describe the relationship between you and your parents. And my question is, do you think that some of the seeding and we're talking about preparation for this journey began in childhood with uh, maybe moments or lessons from your childhood that you know, really set the seed and the embers for what would spark your sense of adventure and journey to begin with, and then taking this so many years later. Yes. So I was brought up in a family that we did camp and we went off on adventures. My father was an amateur bird watcher. And so he, instead of going to the beach, we would go on, we would canoe through swamps and things like that to see, look for birds. So I was used to camping and used to adventure. And my mother, she did it for a while until I was about 10. And then she had had enough of camping and she decided she didn't want to do that anymore. But that act of finding her voice and saying, no, I'm not, I don't want to do this also helped me and helped, you know, communication with Jim. I was only going to do what I wanted to do. And I'm not going to be in situations where I feel uncomfortable. And that, that's really important to me. And I think it's important to couples or two people walking together or hiking together, you need to be able to communicate well. And both people need to listen too. <laughs> and that was one thing. My father was wonderful taking us on these trips, but he wasn't always the best listener, I would say. And I didn't want that in my marriage. And Jim grew up backpacking and camping and doing all those adventures too. So we definitely were brought raised with families that cared about being out in nature. And neither of us have been to Disneyland. Like our trips were out in nature. <laughs> so that was one of our common bonding things when we first met too, is we did lots of outdoor activities. And when I think back on it, there were a few things that I did trying to impress him, which I wouldn't do now. <laughs> And we also raised our kids to love outdoor adventures and being out in nature. Love it. Love that. It does make a difference, too. It never ceases to amaze me some of the things that you did in your childhood. I'm finding now things that I didn't realize how much 
I loved until now that they make such a difference in my life. Like I, I like to live near the ocean. I, people like, you know, I could move in a lot of different places, but like I need to be able to get to a body of water with waves and it makes a big difference to me. So, and we were always at the beach when I was younger. So I get that. I get that. And again, I guess we're still on this preparation. And one of the things that I love that you did in terms of just is packing for a trip. And I've recently become very good at packing. But one thing that I hadn't thought to do that you did is you packed some self-care tools and mindfulness to stay grounded, self-compassion for difficulties and contentment for acceptance. And anybody who knows me, I'm a mindfulness self-compassion, contentment girl. So when I read this, I'm like, I'm all in. And that's a very wise thing to do. But how do you discern that those were the self-care tools that you need to pack for this journey? And you thought to write them down. So you physically packed them as well. You wrote them down and put them in your bag. Yeah. So I'm trained as a mindful self-compassion teacher, a teacher of mindful self-compassion. And I taught before, taught groups. Personally, i love self-compassion. I think it's one of the best self-help tools to handle difficult emotions. So many of us, again, were brought up with when difficult emotions are, you know, shove them down, eat food to numb them, push them away, soldier on, instead of just feeling them and accepting them and letting them, then they'll flow out of you. And I do know when you're on an adventure with a companion, you're going to have some difficult times. And so, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and also I've been a second grade teacher. So I wrote down those on sort of big pieces of paper, those three words, self-compassion, mindfulness, and contentment. And I actually just took a picture of them with all of my clothes and things like that. I didn't actually carry the pieces of words, but it was the intention was in my head by the act of writing them down. And it helped. It really helped. So it does help. I mean, because first of all, it's going to be an arduous trip. You know that going in. And plus the things that you can't predict are going to happen. And being able to take a breath and know that you've actually put that somewhere, whether it's physically or on your phone, it's in there somewhere to tap into really makes a big difference. And I've been making sure that's something that when I take trips, that's something that I consciously put in my head somewhere to do. So I absolutely love that. And you talk very candidly about growing up and also about with your relationship with food and accepting your body, which women at any age will resonate with this. And I mean, we just live in a culture that is so you know, youth body conscious and so many other things that can be realistically about how to eat and how to treat your body as a woman. And most of the times we know that it can be connected to trauma and abandonment. And at least for you, and you're so openly honest about it, it had to do with feelings of shame and struggle with your own learning disabilities with uh, dyslexia. How did you come to equate shame to emptiness and food as a source to fill that emptiness. I thought that was such a wise perspective to have. And tell us a little bit about that. As with anything, reflection grows over time. And so, yeah, I had dyslexia and I used to eat to numb and soothe the feeling of shame of not being good enough, uh, not being, you know, little girls, most little girls learn to read and I wasn't learning to read and I was pretending that I could read. I was very good at pretending. So I used food. 
And it really actually wasn't till probably I was studying to become an eating psychology coach when I realized that I knew I was using the food to numb the feelings. And then also when I studied to be a teacher of mindful self-compassion, the I was reading Brene Brown, and she talked about shame, and the antidote to shame is self-compassion. So when I was writing some blogs about that, the way I write is I put myself back into my body as a young kid, and I just felt empty. And so writing, I think, is such an amazing tool and putting yourself back into that and feeling all the feelings and writing them all down. And what I noticed is I felt empty. And I also have read other where people talked about shame as feeling empty and an empty heart. And so to me, it's the idea of we have to fill ourselves up with food was the way to soothe ourselves, but it also filled us up. And in some ways, it does make you feel better after you eat a little bit, you know, um, a couple of it makes you feel better for a little. And so I was taking care of myself as a little kid. And because it was so, you know, those feelings were so difficult. So. And I know you talked about it too, as well as taking some of the steps to overcome it, but also uh, befriending the dragon, as you call it, almost kind of saying, okay, I have to make good with this in order for me to move forward. If I'm explaining that correctly in, in, in what you were thinking. Yeah. In some ways, I think healing is a lot of different threads. It's understanding shame. It's putting yourself back into the younger child and having sending compassion to that younger child. It's writing is another thread, reading, talking with friends, all these different ways. The threads sort of come together and eventually heal. I don't know. For me, I've never experienced healing overnight. (laughs) It's, It's a process. Well, do you think you would have taken this journey down the GR5 had you not already developed a healthy relationship with food? Or do you think that this was just a part of that healing? I think it was a part of the healing. So I believe that one of the sort of steps of healing relationships with food is also, I've always enjoyed food, but enjoying the food without any guilt, just like, you know, savoring the food and having it all be okay. And, I, you know, we're enjoying this wonderful experience and that the whole act of walking it, if, you know, you've read the book, there's lots of food in Europe, delicious food, and just totally, I, and I was totally relaxed about it. And as we walked, I had no desire to overeat and things like that. I will say, Sometimes now, even if I have to write something or if I get really nervous, that energy to, you know, oh, I need some chocolate, I can still notice that. It still comes up and that's okay. You know, it's, I don't, you know, rip through tons of chocolate anymore. It's just a couple of pieces <laughs> helps now. I don't need to eat the whole thing. So you don't need to do that. And you do talk about that on this journey. And I do take note about, you know, anything that sounds like something I need to like try. So <laughs> I do appreciate that, that you took those moments and you see those moments. And that's one thing about the book. I don't want to give any spoilers, but you do feel taken along the journey with you and Jim. And so as you're having these moments, whether it's, you know, healing with food and just how you're savoring each moment that you're taking there, it just makes reading it 
resonate with anyone who's going to be taking the journey with you in the book. (laughs) And you talk about a number of other things as well. And one of the other things that I loved about it, and while you're on this journey and you talk about menopause, and I was reading and I'm like, I don't think I'd ever heard anyone start a sentence about menopause where it starts with the great thing about menopause. And it has absolutely nothing to do with just not having a period anymore, getting cramps. And I want to talk a little about what, when you were talking about menopause being the old you leaving and the new you arriving and the queendom ceremony that all came apart as as you're thinking about it through this journey on your walk. Yeah. So in the book, I definitely reflect on menopause. And I think it wasn't until I looked back on it that I noticed you know, when you have the night sweats and the water is just dripping off of you, I did sort of have this epiphany that, you know, the old me was leaving me. And I had done a lot of reading about menopause and not just the negative. I was trying to find books that talked about the positive. And I do think there's positive where our bodies are shifting. It's very natural to go to, through menopause and everyone has their own journey. So for me, it was the idea of sweating and letting everything sort of empty out. And during menopause, there are times when you feel empty and you're like, man, what am I doing? And you look at life in a different way. It's completely the opposite of, what do you call it? Uh, Puberty. (laughs) You know, it's a huge change for your body. It's a huge shift. So I think we do need to honor it. And so again, me trying, part of it is being a coach is trying to even coach myself is like, okay, well, if I'm empty, what do I want to fill myself up with? And I could fill myself up with resentment and negative thoughts, or I could resent, fill myself up with, you know, the intention of kindness and self-love. And those are the things that I work on trying to fill myself up. And I would say the sense of adventure of when we get to this age in life, you know, we don't know how many more days we have left. And I don't really care what other people think. And I'm going to go for it. <laughs> oh, I love that. And again, I want to uh, just to reiterate that it, it was a, a reflective portion of it. And a lot of when you're walking, it is a cathartic experience in being able to have such time. And you and Jim actually almost set a nice rhythm to your walking And so it gives that space and that time to give that self-reflection and to really be able to bring about these moments of what it means to be a woman. And that's kind of how I felt about it. It wasn't just, oh, I'm walking. Oh, she's walking. It really was a reflection of a journey of a woman's evolution as she's moving forward in life. One of the big things about the book, and it really touched home, was about synchronicity. And you talk about synchronicity when you you know you're meant to be in the right place in the right moment. And I'm one of those people. I'm really big about being in the moment and also knowing that I'm here for a reason. This is not just by chance. Can you describe, and I know there are a lot of them, but can you describe one of the moments on the journey where you felt that that real sense of, oh yeah, this is bigger than what I thought. I'm really here for, this is a synchronistic moment. Yes, you're right. There were many and it just validated that, yeah, I was supposed to be there and that I'm in the flow. And I would say that probably the biggest one was we were having troubles in between two mountain ranges, trying to find a place to stay in a town. And we, we just couldn't find a place to stay. And eventually 
I asked somebody at one of the hotels to call ahead to the town and they found us a place to stay. Well, it was in a private home and I'm thinking, oh, we're going to go into this house and we don't speak French very well. And how's this going to happen? And we showed up at the right time. And this couple in their, I think, late 70s, 80s, I was never quite sure. It turns out they spoke perfect English and they took us in and they used to run the auberge in town. But when the other one overflowed, they took people in. So they took us in and it, we started chatting with them. And it turns out that they had lived in Acton, Massachusetts, which is right like two towns over from where we had raised our kids. So that was just a wild. And they cooked us the most delicious dinner. And it was like, we had found a home for the night and I was worried what, you know, were they going to serve us any food? I had bought a little extra cheese and bread just in case we did, they didn't give us dinner and it, they gave us the most beautiful dinner. And it, yeah, so that was one of the, you know, amazing synchronistic <laughs> happening events. Amazing. And you know what? I can feel that in the book, too. And you're reading it, you're going, oh, my God. I was just like, oh, my God, talk about a moment here. Talk about a moment. How does that happen? You know, at a wholly different country on this 1400 mile walk and two people who you're staying the night with, you know, lived in the town, two towns from you. It's absolutely brilliant. And there are moments like that along this journey for my listeners. There are moments like that you will be pulled along with in that. Again, not giving up any spoilers. Also, the people along the way, they were so interesting. And I'm sure there are probably some that you probably still stay in touch with and have become longtime friends with and some who actually came out to join you on this trip and who, you know, they've become my new superheroes. I They really, <laughs> your buddies, are, they're awesome. But all in all, how would you describe their influence on your journey? You know, the people who you met there and people who came and joined you. I think I understood even at a deeper level, the importance of talking to people from other countries and hearing their points of view and understanding the walking culture in France. I mean, it's the people that walk in France, they feel like it's their birthright to walk. And there many, many villages have, you know, hostels and mountain refuges where it's very inexpensive to stay and gites, inexpensive to stay. And everybody is allowed to stay and then there's a lot of communal meals so all sitting around a table eating and chatting and again our french wasn't all that good but many people would translate for us or people were nicely and spoke in english and as far as having our friends come and join us we had margot and todd come for a week and join us and that was wonderful and i just had my book launch last week and they showed up and they were like rock stars yes <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I deserve it. Well, that's so wonderful. And I think that's a big thing, too, is honoring the culture anywhere when you travel for anybody, whenever you travel, honoring the culture where you are means a lot. And and it will bring in, I think, the type of people that you and Jim brought in that kind of really good energy. Like, yeah, we're here. We don't speak the language as well. But when people see you're trying and again, you're honoring their culture and their space, you just open up to meet wonderful people and 
and enjoy your time there. So I think it speaks a lot to you too as well. I think you you pulled in what you were putting out there, some really good energy, a lot to learn on it. On any adventure you take, you have to honor that. You also discuss, and I love this as well, you're, you're very candid and very open and honest with it. And I think that means a lot in any book. And again, it, it carry over into the resonance and the what people can connect to. And you discuss some intimate details about your relationship with your husband, Jim, and even from what the initial foundations of that when you got married and what it eventually grew into and evolved into. And so my question is, what expectations did you have about this journey? You thought it would evolve your relationship or have any impact whatsoever? It's funny. I wasn't really all that nervous about it ahead of time. I just, I wasn't sure whether, neither of us were sure we would make it through, not as a cup, you know, the trials and tribulations of being on an adventure can spark, you know, confrontation in a couple. But what we found, and which totally surprised me and I loved, is that in some way, we became more united because we had to, it was like the two of us against the world, not against the world, but, you know, walking through the world. And we had to find our strengths in each other and trust the strengths in each other and work together, you know, finding reservations, work together, making sure, getting from point to point and you know, Jim is much more detailed oriented than I am. And so he and technology, he downloaded all of the tracks every day for the GPS. And I was better at looking at the big picture. So I think the trip allowed us to really appreciate each other's strengths. And so, you know, it wasn't until we were in Lake Geneva, where we had sort of two and a half days of rest, that all of a sudden, we kind of let our guard down and all these little, you know, every couple has little nudgies that started bothering each other. And that's when the friction, more of the friction came up. <laughs> right, right. And so it, would you say that the journey in some ways just provided almost more of a reassurance about the strength in your relationship and the love and care for one another? It's kind of reassured it? Yes. Yeah. And for me, this was a walk of thinking about how I do want to show up with the last third of my life. So I do question, do I want to stay married to him? And again, we, you know, we have another, maybe lucky, if we're lucky, another third in our life. And is that the way I want to spend it married? And, you know, there's so many bigger questions to think about. It used to be that people were married, you know, you always stayed married for the whole time. But then there's that pressure. Uh, there's so many different tough pressures it out. in you our culture. Tough it out. Yeah, exactly. And I will say also the act of writing the book really brought us even closer together. Because when you have to write your husband's dialogue or your spouse's dialogue, that's quite interesting. You realize sometimes, ooh, maybe I was wrong and he was right. Maybe it was me. <laughs> <It's> interesting. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was me. <laughs> I love that. That's a very realistic way of describing it. I absolutely love that. And were there any other moments that you care to share about? Because, I mean, to walk in and to see it, it, it's pretty clear, at least for me early on in the book, that it was going to be more than just about the beauty and splendor and the endurance of the walk itself. It is really an in-depth self-reflection and so many other things that you pull us along with this journey, as well as all of these other what do you call it, golden nuggets of relationship things and interactions with people who you wouldn't normally be able to have those types of interactions with through this journey. 
were there any other wisdoms since this journey? Like you talk about actually writing the book itself. Sounds like it was its own separate journey and pilgrimage of love. Do you want to share some of that with us as well? Yeah, no, I'm just thinking, I think the act of writing also, you get to pick and choose which little stories, which little nuggets you want to share or that draws into a thread because a good writer, which this was my first endeavor of writing, but I did take quite a few writing classes during COVID while I was writing it, how to write memoir and things like that. And I learned about threads and what to include and what not to include. So that was, yeah, that was a journey in itself. Right. And you wrote uh, it during COVID. So you were writing the book actually during lockdown. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I had already, I had started it before. I had started it in 2019. But then, yeah, I was, in some ways, COVID helped me get rid of all the other distractions in life and focus in on it. I actually totally get that. I usually don't like to, you know, I tell people, you know what, if COVID got me to change a lot of things in my life as well, a lot of that isolation and gives you a lot of time for self-reflection as to, like you were talking about so beautifully, how do you want to show up in the world at this stage in your life? And it triggered a lot of different things. And it looks like it triggered at least this wonderful book that I've enjoyed reading. And I know the rest of the world will enjoy reading and my listeners, you will enjoy reading it. So please do that. Were there any other, I'm going to leave the floor to you. First of all, I want to just thank you for being here with us and just sharing your journey and your book that's out there for the world to see and spending time with us. Are there any other, any wisdom or words of wisdom that you'd like to leave my listeners with? I think we're all a lot stronger than we believe we are. And if we trust our own pace and trust our own bodies, and I'm talking about physical strength and emotional strength and maybe heart strength or soul strength, but, you know, listening to your body and going at your own pace, not the external world's pace, we are a lot stronger than we believe we are. Absolutely. I love that. Well, Kathy, we want to thank you so much for being with us here today on 50 Now What. The book is To Walk It Is To See It. Kathy, where can our listeners find you and get your book? Thank you. My website is kathyelkine.com. It's Kathy with a K. And Instagram, you can follow me on Instagram, Kathy Elkind. And then I have a YouTube channel, and that's Kathy Elkind, too. So it's pretty easy. And there are pictures on my website, and you can follow some videos on the YouTube channel. Thanks very much, and buy the book wherever books are sold. Thank you so much. I have appreciated this time. Uh, see, it was painless. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I really Thank enjoyed it, so. too. And I've enjoyed spending time with you, and I'm looking forward to your next book. Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm just okay. Put it out okay. There. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Thank you for listening to 50 Now What? A special thank you to Kathy. Don't forget to get her book, To Walk It Is To See It, wherever books are sold. Make sure to follow us, rate, and share the show. Make sure to follow me on Instagram for continuous updates at 50 Now What Podcast. That's 5-0 Now What Podcast. This podcast was produced by Rainbow Creative with Matthew Jones as senior producer, Stephen Selnick as producer, and Rob Johnson as editor and audio engineer. I love working with this team. To learn more about making a podcast for you or your business, visit them at rainbowcreative.co.